welcome to this episode of ONS Energy Talks. My name is Inger Johanna Stenberg and I work with communications in ONS. Today we are going to talk a little bit more about communicating and how can we really grasp the energy transition because it's quite the difficult matter uh, we have understood uh, during the last years. Energy crisis, uh, energy security, the electricity prices and so on. I think we all have questions and should learn and know a little bit more about we're talking what we're talking about. This episode is recorded at the ONS Net Zero Markets kickoff in Stavanger. And uh, this Net Zero Markets is a venue we have at ONS dedicated fully to low carbon and renewable technology and market opportunities. And with me today, I have two people with um, somewhat same but also very different um, point of view. We're going to hear a little bit from the scientist point of view, from Julius Vesche. Yeah, hi. I'm happy to have happy that you have me here. <laughs> Thanks for being here. And you're the research. You're a researcher on sustainability and energy transition, and also a podcast host. And you do a lot of communications as well. Well, I feel that we as researchers have kind of the we have the need to actually talk about our research with community or with with society because if we don't talk about our research how is it going to have an impact and the prerequisite for impact is that people actually know about what we do and obviously it's also taxpayer money that goes into our research so we should make an make an effort and yeah i run a podcast called the science communication accelerator podcast and there i try to help other researchers to be become better science communicators yeah ah perfect start for this podcast and i also have with me annika brenvoy uh, and you are head of communications at Entenu Energy. And for those who don't know, Entenu is the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in Trondheim. And you work across energy? Yes, that's true. Entenu uh, has got over 600 researchers uh, dealing and researching within energy. So we are talking uh, all kinds of technologies, uh, of course, wind power, solar power, hydrogen, battery, uh, right energy storage, but also a just and sustainable energy transition. So we have all kind of, kinds of disciplines uh, at Entenu. And your, your job, uh, as I understand it, is uh, not only communicating from the scientists' point of view and the researcher, researchers, but also uh, to attract students, attract uh, money to the university of uh, some sort and and make Antenu what it is in, uh, in one way or another. <laughs> we have seen, uh, before we go into the deep dive a little bit, I wanted to hear how when we see people not choosing fields of study in technology and petroleum, engineering and that kind of studies that used to be very popular, the numbers are dwindling a little bit. Is that something you talk about a lot in your department, getting people to choose engineering, energy, that sort of thing? Yes, of course. Uh, well, recruitment is very important for, for NTNU. And, uh, you know, it's the, the biggest university in Norway and a very big uh, energy research community. So, so of course, it's it's very important recruitment. But um, what we work with at Antenu Energy, which is Antenu's interdisciplinary uh, strategic research area on energy, is uh, more about the um, communication of the research, and we uh, we are kind of a connection point between 
society, politicians, uh, um, companies, and the research. So my job is to to increase the impact of energy research, basically. So personally, at Antenu Energy, we don't uh, we don't work so much with uh, recruitment of students. That's a faculty matter. But uh, if we take, for example, battery uh, as an example, so uh, Antenu is really increasing its efforts towards uh, attracting students for battery studies, um, adjusting study programs so that we can serve a battery industry, upcoming battery industry in Norway, and same for solar and hydrogen and renewable energy uh, in general. So, so NTNU is very close to to society uh, societal needs. Yeah. So let's call it employer branding for for engineering and energy in a way. <laughs> so why I wanted to start with uh, asking both of you: Why is it hard to understand the energy transition? For politicians, teachers, everyone, you just you first. Well, we are, the first thing is we have to understand that the energy transition is not solely a technological challenge. Actually, it is a social technological challenge, and that means that we have social technical systems, and these are very complex. And these these are not just the wind offshore. It's not just the hydrogen technology that we have, but we have to think about policy, we have to think about uh, funding, we have to think about um, demand, we have to think about knowledge creation, knowledge development, knowledge sharing, and and that means that we are actually dealing with very complex yeah, systems in which people act uh, and there's very many different interests and uh, of where this transition could go. So just to say, yeah, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you how this energy transition is going to look like is quite hard because there's no one trajectory and it's always a poli- it's always po- political what we're going to do, what particular policy is going to support or not support. So there is no such thing as, I, I'll, I'll just explain it to you, but I think in, if we really want to try to make people understand what the energy transition is, we have to give them the opportunity to understand the nitty-gritty on the one hand, and on the other hand, the trajectories that are at stake, and maybe also have to think about the different actors that maybe are supporting specific trajectories. And only then we can hopefully make them understand a little bit. Um, but it will never be done, but I guess, as you also doing here, is an effort, and uh, that's highly appreciated. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> to illustrate what uh, Julius just said, the complexity of the problem, right? Uh, that's really the heart of uh, why it is difficult to explain and to understand. For example, if you take uh, the UN uh, sustainability, uh, sustainability goals, you have affordable and clean energy uh, on the one hand, for example, uh, which you might think might go hand in hand with other sustainability goals, but you you have, for example, land on life, land land um, or life on land, life in the ocean, uh, which can be directly competing. So, so like Julia said, it's not an easy solution. Uh, it's not one size fits all, and those are highly complex issues where uh, sustainability goals work against each other, and uh, we need to find a middle ground and a middle road there. And and this is really, um, it's also difficult to, to find out, but also, of course, to communicate. Let's uh, dig a little deeper in that, because you, when you say you are responsible for uh, getting the research across, really, and, and make people understand what's actually going on uh, at Antenu Energy, because I've worked with a lot of engineers and technologists and, and, and researchers as well, and it's all when you're really into something it's hard to explain to your neighbor or your mother-in-law or someone who's not in the same little echo chamber as yourself so how do you 
get the message across? How do you explain other people what happens at Antinoon Energy? Yeah, well, it's it's very important to understand that, um, you know, the communication science, it, it's gone from uh, uh, mere information one way through um, uh, communication, which is more of a two two way dialogue to really. So and this is at the heart of the problem is that you also have to listen, you have to not just to disseminate as in a classically scientific researcher sense, but also to to listen to what are politicians wondering about, what are uh, companies wondering about, invite them in and have a real form and in the real dialogue. Um, and that is one one of the things that we try to do at Antenu Energy. And Julius, you've uh, you've taken this a little step further because you are you are one of the first researchers I've met and talk to who actually host a podcast and tell the world about uh, all the science, uh, scientific things you do. So so why did you feel that that was a need? And do you feel any opposition in your academic crowd? You know, to your point, it's not very incentivized as a researcher to to really invest a lot of time into science communication or into engagement or outreach or however you want to call it. Um, we're very strongly incentivized to just get the next paper done, to next get the report done and, and get money into the organization so that we can hire people. Um, but I feel that that is slowly changing because in the long run, people, you people like departments want to promote people that have a good network, that know how to speak on stages. And all of that you learn, you kind of give yourself a media training if you start engaging in, in science communication. And I think also doing podcasts and I, two energy transition podcasts one in German and one in English it gives gives you a lot of access to build your network and to get better at being out there so personally if you would ask me I think it's 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 a great opportunity but yet again not everyone has to really engage in science communication if this is not for you that's fine no one should you know push anyone to do it but if you feel hey, you like to talk about your stuff and you want to share it and you want that it has impact then please do this. <laughs> um, and uh, I think universities should be more incentivizing that and also seeing that that's part of a, a meaningful curriculum or a meaningful part of the job as being a researcher. That's a very interesting point. And I think we, we tend to forget that in uh, academia uh, and have traditionally. But let's um, switch the focus a little bit. Like when you communicate what you do and you communicate what the researchers do, Annika, how do you deal with the peoples that the people that are not interested in facts? They're not necessarily accusing you of lying or something or coming with alternative facts to use a tr very Trumpian word. They're just not interested. How do we deal with that? That's okay. <laughs> Is that a compliment? I don't know. Do you want to start with that? Yeah. Well, um, I agree with with uh, Julius with you that uh, that there are not enough incentives to communicate uh, the research, but we should not forget that that researchers have an obligation by the Norwegian state to disseminate or communicate their research as well. So it's part, it's part of their job, actually, uh, to, to do that. Um, but of course, it's not, it's not easy to talk to people that are not open. Uh, so, so I would go back to the, you know, to the three proven uh, classic principles of Aristotle, who says uh, ethos, pathos and logos. Um, those people might might not be very success, success, 
susceptible to reason maybe but uh, there might be to emotions or to the fact that this is a researcher talking so so to to layer your communication in a way so that you don't only uh, speak to the reason uh, within people but also to um, to the emotions and and try to to deliver the whole package um, that might be of help I think the, the, I second that completely the the task of researchers is not to convince anyone. Science communication is not about convincing, but you make research available and then your potential target group can decide if they want to pick it up or if they can or if they don't want to pick it up. It's a bit like, you know, you can stand in a pedestrian zone in, in the middle of Bergen or, 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 or Trondheim and you put up a you put a red head on your head and then there might be one or two people out of the 300 that pass that are interested in red heads. These are the ones that you want to talk to. 99% of your people, of the people that pass you are not in your target group and that's okay. We're all busy. You're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. So it's like the ones that are interested, we should nourish them. We should give them opportunity to learn. But we can't expect that everyone is interested now in hydrogen or in I don't know, fusion technologies or whatever. Like, But we should make our stuff available and then they can choose if they want to engage it, or not. it do helps with engaged people. Uh, like people yeah, and are, patos. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Why change a winning recipe? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Go back agree. to the Greeks. It's good. So I wanted to uh, uh, challenge you a little bit. Like if you, as a researcher or a research communicator, we have many claims in the energy debate. So it's it's hard to sometimes have any arguments we, we know it's very a lot more nuanced than it often is um, said to be but how would you as a researcher let's start with you you just uh, address a claim like we should stop investing in oil and gas today to meet our climate ambitions or ccs is dangerous these are the difficult questions of science communication because if someone is an anti-vaxxer you can it's really hard to convince someone but again i said it it's if we focus all of our energy on the ones that don't believe us or the ones that are questioning us all and they are not susceptible to what Annika said to to maybe learning about science, then I'm not sure if that's time, resources and money spent well. I don't think we should focus on the ones who don't who don't want to be convinced anyway or like but we should rather talk to the ones who who might who, who might be interested in learning and also we live in in a really good democracy here in Norway so the good thing is that the ones and the, the single people who have very crazy opinions they don't win elections but it's the ones that that might be susceptible but they are the ones that that might that might not know enough or they're looking but in, if they then if they're looking, but they don't find anything, then that's our fault. Our fault is not that someone has crazy, crazy opinions, but our fault is if someone is interested, if they don't get anything out there that's easy to understand and that is uh, that has no barriers to consumption, then that's our fault as researchers and maybe also as mm. communicators. But sometimes there might just be a lack of knowledge or perspective as well. If you take, for example, the the claim that uh, oh, we have to um, we have to not uh, seek for more more oil and gas uh it, it's you know it's not that easy and that touches upon the complexi complexity that we were just talking about that um one thing you could say so what i would do as a research communicator is always go back to the researchers and what do they think and what what are their opinions uh, because they often have many of them have very good perspectives on on the on the whole um on the whole picture and that is often what is lacking it's it's it is actually sometimes just a lack of of 
of information. If you take, for example, the Norwegian parliamentary uh, elections uh, two years ago, uh, Pretty much everything that was in the media on energy, it was uh, um, the, oh, when are we going to, in Norway, Norway, right? When are we going to stop uh, looking for oil? When are we going to stop looking for oil? It was a very polarized debate. So, um, so our researchers were then trying to communicate that it's not as black and white. Uh, you can't just... Uh, uh, um, like fi not look for oil anymore and then everything will be uh, merry and everything will be good. Uh, um, there is a transition and it's it's named a transition. Uh, it has a purpose why it's named a, a transition. So so um, it's not that easy. And also with CCS, I think with CCS, is it safe, right? Um, I think uh, the answer might be a little easier uh, because you know at uh, NTNU and at Sintef we have conducted research for 30 years on CCS uh, Equinor and partners they have uh, they have um, injected CO2 into the Schleipner field for uh, 90, I think from 1996 uh, each year a million ton of CO2 they have injected And there are monitoring systems in, in place. So so there are facts and there are arguments, I, I would like to add. Yeah. Mm. And uh, let's uh, try to conclude in some way. I, I do like your uh, nod uh, to the old Greeks. I think that's uh, uh, it's a very valuable <laughs> thing to have with us and the layering of arguments. But if you would have any tips or tricks to the industry and the educational institutions now for how to... Because I think... Somewhat what we're saying here is that communicating both research and also energy overall will probably make our students, our newer generation, we, we need to recruit them. So we need them to know what they can choose from. So how do the, do you have any tips or tricks on how we can get them on board? <laughs> yeah, I think I have to laugh a bit about this uh, because, you know, this comment that you said that that sounded, I think you used it as a, as an example that sounds outlandish of like, what do we say to someone that says we cannot invest into oil and gas? And the thing is, I don't think it's that outlandish because if we look at the IPCC report, we cannot invest into oil and gas anymore. We can invest for keeping it running, but we can't invest in new ones because if we do that, we will not hit the two degrees Paris, Paris goal. So I think right now, oil and gas is still has a big role in, in Norway, but that role will, will decline. And the question is how quick it will decline. Um, and I would advise every company that earns a lot of money in oil and gas to get ready for this transition because now you still have time to get into other fields that might be not as financially attractive, but that's these are the ones that will save your your bottom line in the long run. It's and a, show, a showdown tell. Yeah, no? yeah, but also it's like you just said showdown tell, but it's like it's a showdown right now. And I feel that some some companies are not realizing that in 10 years, this energy field that we're having will look substantially different. And now we have to get ready. Now you still have a chance. Get into, I don't know, get into offshore wind, heavy. Get into hydrogen, heavy. Um, and that's why these companies that, that are not doing that I think you should put your your money where your mouth is and say, this is what we're going to do. Because if you say this is what you're going to do, then you will attract the young generation because there is no one or there's a very small potential a part of it of this generation that still wants to work in oil and gas. And if you want to attract people, then you have to be attractive in a way in the business models that you are doing. And I think 
I'm not sure that's a trick. I don't think it's a trick. But we will still need a lot of the support functions and we will still need engineers and geologists and so yeah, on. Yeah, and also Equinor will exist and will do a lot of CO, uh, like uh, low-carbon technology. And obviously, um, but people don't buy your product because it's a good product, but people buy your product because they know why you're doing it. That's like start with why. And if you if you have a strong, sustainable related why in your company, you won't have an issue in finding the right people to help you implementing that why. But if you say, we're an oil and gas company and we're going to stay an oil and gas company, then why should they do that? For, go with you. Because they know in 20 years that company will not exist anymore. And maybe like... Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Tell me. Let's, let's get we'll, some we'll conversation. We'll see in 10 or 20 years. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. let's come back to in 15 years and then let's see these companies that don't engage right now. They will either be not existing anymore. They will be bought up or they will yeah, not have a bottom line and will not make money. And, and we'll you will not work there, definitely. For sure not. Because, <laughs> but that's because I'm a researcher. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and Annika, how, if you would have one tip. Uh, to conclude this with to the the companies but also the research or the um, uh, educational institutions what would that be how do we attract these people and get the students who choose energy yeah um i would like to to go a little bit more general on this uh, and and also go back to how the field of communications has changed uh it's really important as a company as a research institution uh, any kind of uh, organization that you that you build trust and that you tell an honest story that you that you communicate you ha when you have doubts uh, don't try to build a um, or paint a perfect picture because uh, first of all that doesn't exist and second of all nobody will believe it so have a goal a communications goal of building trust uh, I think that's a good point of departure every company can build their own communication channels. For example, what we're doing here right now is a building a podcast. I think every company, I'm not sure if every company needs to have a podcast, but every company, for example, needs a proper social media strategy because this is how you get attention if you want to not be blocked off by the gatekeepers of NRCO or the TV channels because it's really hard to get in there. But now everyone has a phone in their pocket and we can all just start streaming. And if we do it in high quality, you will get the visibility if you mean it. That's a very good challenge. Very good challenge and a very good uh, segue from Annika from your um, from trust, which was the last year's ONS theme, and then we can all imagine, right, what next year will bring in uh, at ONS 2024. So thank you both for coming. It's been very interesting and fun. This was ONS Energy Talks, and you can find more podcasts about energy, technology, and also the geopolitical situation and uh, energy security, uh, where you subscribe to your podcasts and at ons.no. And follow us on LinkedIn. We would really appreciate uh, that you do that, and we will uh, uh, keep you updated. My name was Ingrid Johannes Stenberg, and this was ONS Energy Talks.